So what we're hoping to, um, to do during this series is to approach Scripture um, a little bit differently, to consider the perspectives um, that other people have, especially the people that this was originally written to. We know there are layers of context and perspective and personality and culture um, that need some digging to understand. So imagination is our first tool as we approach Romans. And today we're adding to that list lament, which I know those are the two words that always go together in your head, right? Imagination and lament. You talk about imagination with your kids maybe, and then you teach them how to lament. Um, We don't do that, which is um, why it might be a little tricky to link these two together. So that's what we're going to do today. I I know, I told the elders, I think Mike chose very carefully the Sunday that he was gone. Um, But I think this, I think this topic is really great for us. Um, So it is, it can be, can feel like a strange pairing, but if imagination helps us understand ourselves in someone else's shoes, um, lament calls us to recognize the injustice of that person's life, of their experience. So the first step is recognizing someone's perspective, and that's the imagination piece. And then the next step of lament is recognizing what's wrong, what is not in line with the kingdom in that perspective. Um, Lament, uh, I think, has been just misunderstood, misused maybe. It's not a word we use um, a lot in regular conversation, at least not seriously. I think, I, I mean, it is, but I think more often I hear people using it sarcastically or facetiously that uh, we're rem- lamenting the loss of our favorite team or, or, or something like that. Um, so we're going to try to unpack that a little bit differently today. Throughout the letter of Romans, Paul uses um, the language of lament to express this the depth of creation suffering, this deep need in, in creation. And he also uses it to then express the power of the gospel. So remember those two things together. That, that's what the, the lament in Romans is about, the depth of the suffering and the power of the gospel. Think about Paul's story. Um, he was knocked out of his way, basically, by Jesus saying, Paul, would you pay attention to what's really going on? That is the gospel that, that, that Paul has experienced and now that he's preaching um, about. So um, a little bit of how Paul does this is throughout Romans, you will hear psalms of lament pop up at, at different points. Um, and uh, in today's church, these psalms that you'll hear throughout the book, they're not psalms that we use often uh, or we use parts of them, but we don't use the, the parts that can be a little graphic or the parts that are really difficult um, to understand. Some of the images, and you'll hear some today, you think, I, I don't know what they're talking about. That's not a situation I've ever been in, and, um, and that's part of the challenge for us in um, using our imagination is, what would that be like? I can't imagine having bulls encircle me. Maybe if you have been um, a farmhand at some point, uh, when uh, my grandfather has a, um, not as many cows as he used to, but if they get out, we're in trouble, right? Um, but if you can't imagine what that is, we're going to try to press into that a little bit. Of all of the Psalms, 150 Psalms in the Hebrew scriptures, approximately 40 of them are uh, Psalms of lament. So percentage-wise, what is, is 27, 26-ish percent? Is that somewhere around there? A quarter or so of our psalms are psalms of lament, are these cries out from this deep place of distress. 
And what I want you to listen for, Psalms of Lament almost always have these five different parts. Sometimes they're in different order, so you really have to like, tune your ears. Um, but it always includes these things. So it starts usually with an invocation. We're saying, God, pay attention. Where are you, right? Um, we're calling out to God. So that's the first part. And then it usually comes with the complaint, the lament, the problem. Um, then the third piece is a request, asking God to fix the thing, to address the thing, to show up in some way. And then the last two parts, an expression of confidence, God, I know you will do this, and a vow of praise, and I will continue to praise you. So those five pieces, calling on God, the lament, a request, an expression of confidence, and a vow of praise. So if you can try to listen for at least some of those things, as we read through the second, uh, the 22nd Psalm, sorry, we're going to read through the whole thing. Um, and some of this will sound very familiar to you, and some of it will sound like maybe you've never read it before. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our ancestors trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried, and they were saved. In you, they trusted, and they were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human. I'm scorned by others, and I'm despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. They say, commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you, Lord, who took me from the womb, who kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. God, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like broken clay, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me, a company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and my feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, this has all been kind of rough so far, right? But you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor and afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. 
Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Before we go on, I want to just point out, did you notice how much time was spent with each of the five parts? There was a lot of, God, things are really bad. Bulls are encircling me. Evildoers are around me. And there was just as much, almost just as much. And I will praise the Lord. Keep that in mind as we keep going. There was a time that I believed that before you came into the sanctuary, you had to set your baggage down. Your anger your shame, uh, your burdens, your worry, basically anything that was ugly or inappropriate um, had to be left outside the door. That stuff didn't belong in the sanctuary because this place is for beautiful music. It's for songs of praise and joy and salvation and all of that. And if I brought my heavy stuff inside, that it would be a distraction. It would distract me from really worshiping. It would distract probably the person next to me if all of a sudden I was crying. It just wasn't for this place. There was a time I believed that the church was a place to hide from the realness of life. Everything outside of this place was so hard and so strenuous. But this is, after all, a sanctuary. In the church building, I could ignore all the difficult things, all the hurtful things that happened in my home or my family or my uh, workplace or my neighborhood, and I could pretend that everything was fine as long as I was in this safe place. You may have experienced that at different times. I think we have seasons where we go back and forth with that too. And then there was a time that I was brought to my knees, knocked down by the one thing, although it should have been God, that I was sure held me up. I was not down by the thing that I actually thought held me up. And I knew that there was only one place to go. But this time was different. I didn't check my baggage at the door. I ran in angry and yelling and confused and hurt. And I asked, how could this happen? Why is this happening? How long until we see rescue? And that was the first time in my life that I had big enough questions that nothing outside of this place could answer. Nothing that the world offered could satisfy the deep longing that I felt. And to be honest, I wasn't really sure that God would answer those questions either. Over time, my questions have only gotten bigger. And the good news for us today is that God invites us to ask those questions, to bring those burdens. I think God has even placed a calling on us to lament the injustices that we witness and to pay attention when we partake in those injustices. If nothing else, we see an incredible number of examples of lament throughout the Bible. Um, and, And I believe that God calls us to this because lament requires us to look outside of ourselves. Um, and our own experiences. Lamenting is bigger than sadness or grief, which both have um, a place in the, the life of faith as well. But lamenting is not just about me. 
and what I'm feeling in this moment. Lamenting is a kingdom experience. It's noticing the sin in our own hearts, yes, and in the world that are counter to the reign of God. The things that work against the coming of the kingdom. So think about where do you see brokenness? Where do you see injustice and hatred? Where do you see disunity, loneliness, fear, shame? We know that these things are not of the kingdom. We know that the reign of God doesn't include anything from that list. And these are the things that God calls us to cry out against, to name out loud, not to pretend like they don't exist, but to name them out loud and to not allow them to continue in the shadows, unchecked. To ask loudly and often, when we'll see revolution? When will we see restoration? Last week, while looking at Paul's identity as a slave uh, to Christ, Pastor Mike asked some questions that just made my heart hurt. He asked, have you ever been a slave? What's it like to be a slave? What's it like to own a slave? What's it like to have no freedom? What's it like to have no identity? And then he suggested to understand Romans, we have to understand what it feels like to be a slave. I imagine it's likely impossible to fully understand someone else's perspective, 100%, um, especially in the way of slavery. But if we refuse to even look, if we refuse to even pay attention and to try, we're ignoring what the gospel is all about. I read a book of uh, a fiction in college. I forget the name of it now. I was trying to find it this week, but it was about the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. And really, it's a short, comparatively, it's a short story. We don't see a lot of information. We don't know a lot about the woman, but Jesus did. Um, We only hear a couple snippets that Jesus shares. Um, And I always have a hard time with that. Like, tell me more. I want to hear more. Uh, But in this book, this fiction piece that I was reading, it told an intricate and a detailed story of this woman's life. It told about the hardships that she encountered, the marriages that she was forced into, the rape and abuse that she endured, the true love that she lost, and the eventual unjust relationship that she's forced into because no one's going to marry her again after she's been used up and discarded so many times. And yes, this is a piece of fiction, but it opened my eyes to consider how much we don't know about the people in these holy pages of the Bible. So imagining the woman's story, trying to look beyond just the words on the page to a deeper understanding, even just a wondering about her life and her circumstances and God's purpose for her, it brings me to a place of lament. While imagining her story, I I was frustrated for her, that she was forced into marriage so young. I was scared for her as she experienced multiple dangerous pregnancies and deliveries. I was heartbroken for her. (laughs) For when the husband she truly loved was taken unexpectedly, and I was absolutely enraged for her as she was endlessly abused by those who were meant to protect her. And these are the emotions that pop up in the Psalms. These are the emotions that we'll see in a reimagined reading of Romans. Being willing to notice someone else's perspective, to recognize that somebody comes at this differently than I do, 
being willing to call out the injustice, to speak it loudly, and then asking God for, uh, for, um, for restoration. Those are our first steps. And I think those are the hardest ones because it demands something of us. It demands being sad is hard. Being heartbroken for somebody is really difficult. And those first steps of lament call us to that, to give something of myself. And the final step, and truly the most, um, maybe the step that's a little bit easier for us, it's so important in lament, and it's choosing hope. The same way that fasting ends in a feast, lament ends in hope. And I hope you heard that in the Psalms, uh, in Psalms 22. Remember these words from the end of Psalm 22. And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. We could also include he rules over the darkness. He rules over the hatred and the disunity and the division. We know that God rules. Lamenting can feel scary and dangerous because we open ourselves up to the deep hurts of the world. It's one thing to recognize those in myself, but to be willing to recognize the deep hurts in the world and somebody else is a whole nother thing. When we cry out about these injustices, when we name them, they feel even more real to us. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe maybe you have a secret or you did something wrong and you just don't want to tell anybody because if I say it out loud, it's real. And while it's real, even if we don't say it out loud, things like darkness thrive when we don't say them out loud. And we're able to stand in this very scary and very dangerous place because we know the hope that we carry. We know the sovereignty of our God. So when we choose lament, when we choose to experience the hard emotions, the impossible situations, the reality of this broken and fallen world. We could continue, right, to pretend that tragedies don't happen, that differences don't divide us, and we could choose just a a false safety of ignorance. I'm just going to stay here in my own space. But choosing an ignorant safety It doesn't advance the reign of God. Choosing an ignorant and false safety doesn't spread the gospel. Choosing an ignorant and false safety doesn't help us understand scripture. And it doesn't even really keep us safe. Instead, it just gives us those pat answers that don't really satisfy our deepest longings. So the psalmist calls us to lament, gives us an example, and calls us into this experience Think about even in Jesus' last few days, Jesus cries out over the sinfulness and the ignorance of Jerusalem. And in the days before Jesus is hung on the cross, we see him lament in a lot of different ways, showing a lot of very different and hard emotions. And even as he's crucified, you know the words, he utters the first few words of Psalm 22. But something that we shouldn't miss is that Jesus recognizes, even in this moment of deep lament and despair, that it isn't the end. So the Roman soldiers and the Roman onlookers probably wouldn't have noticed this. 
But anyone standing around with a Hebrew heritage, when they heard Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those of Hebrew heritage would have recognized that as the beginning of the 22nd Psalm. And they would have known how the Psalm continued. The Psalms were like Israel's songbook, right? So in the same way that if you heard the first few words of a familiar song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You know how it goes, right? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When you hear those first few words of that really familiar song, and you may have a favorite, that if you hear even the first word, you know the rest of that song. And that's what the Hebrews would have heard. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all the nations, for the Lord has dominion. That's what they would be hearing. It would have filled the Hebrew ears with hope. Because Jesus, even in the darkest of moments, was remembering God's sovereignty. All the ends of the earth, all the families of the nations, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. I'm going to ask our platform team to, uh, to come back up. As we go through the book of Romans over the next uh, several weeks, I want you to keep these things in mind. What does it look like to imagine the position that these original hearers were in? What does it look like to come face to face with the struggles that they had? I don't know what it feels like to be a slave. I don't know what it feels like to be told I have no worth or no identity outside of my master's house. Even thinking about the slave owners, I don't know what it feels like to own a slave. And that's what we're going to press into. What is it? What injustices do we see throughout this book? This morning, we're going to close up this time with a prayer of lament. So that heal the land, meet the needs, set the captive free will be our chorus. I'm going to open in a prayer, and I'm going to leave some space. If you feel something stirring that you want to lament, speak it out loud, yell it out loud, whisper it, say it in your heart. Cry out to God, and we'll use... um, We'll use that chorus as our, um, as our refrain.